How's everybody? Oh, listen, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Happy New Year to you. I, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about uh, my New Year so far. I hope you guys, why don't you turn to somebody, just wish them a Happy New Year. I think that'd be great. Yeah? Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to stall for time right now because there's so many people still getting coffee. So, okay, good. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited uh, to give you this first uh, talk of the new year. It's entitled Extraordinary Together. And uh, the idea is, is pretty straightforward in that uh, we're going to theme this entire year um, that, and I'm going to explain why in today's talk, but the most important thing that I want you to understand about any vision talk you hear from anybody is that it has to first and foremost affect you personally. And I'm very, very careful about standing on stage, especially with so many people that are so committed to a new them, to then tell you, hey, this is, this is what we're doing this year, and this is how it's supposed to be. I really want to be very careful that I help us understand that the most important thing about this path that we're about to take is that we first and foremost reflect with God upon uh, his call upon our life and upon his vision for our life. His vision and his, his resolution for you this new year is much, much stronger than anything you could come up with yourself. Anything. It is the most important thing that you can, uh, that you can commit to is the reality that he is the one and he is the only one that is really directing your path and your purposes and how it is that he wants you to develop. And so that's the first most important thing. And then what I want to do is I want to introduce you to a few um, of the elders of our church that are going to be leading us into this vision this next year. And then I also want to deal with just a few little technical updates when it comes to our Kessa Downtown Project. And then I want to share with you how I believe God is going to call all of us to, uh, to be extraordinary together. So that said, let me pray. And uh, then I'm going to have Pastor Tom Lovelace come up and give an update. And we're going to dive right into this, okay? All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather in this place and that we can ask these questions, we can ponder together, that we can learn what it means to be extraordinary, Lord, following you and your vision for our lives, your resolve for our lives. May we just see ourselves through you this morning as we dive further into your will for each of us. We lift this entire season of ministry up to you and you alone and your agenda alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, will you give Pastor Tom Lovelace a hand as he comes up on stage? Let me say as he comes on stage that uh, so much has happened in the last season of Kesset, especially the last 18 months or so. And, uh, and I, know, I know Tom hates it when I do this, but, but sometimes it's just important to recognize uh, people for, the, for the, the, what they bring. And uh, Tom Lovelace has brought s some stuff I didn't even know we needed in this church. Uh, I mean, the way in which he sees uh, finances, the, the way in which he sees transparency and accountability and discipline um, is so incredibly integrous and so incredibly um, 
um, well-led that I really, from my heart and the staff's heart, I think even the other elders' hearts to him, we are so thankful for him and Lisa and the blessing they've been to our congregation. So Tom functions as our executive pastor. He is on staff. And uh, we're actually going to license him today because we've never done that officially in front of you so that uh, now he can marry you. So when you're ready, Tom would love to do seven to eight weddings a year. <laughs> Was it eight? You were hoping for eight this year? <laughs> uh, okay, maybe more. I don't know. You seemed really excited right then. But uh, he, we're going to license him at the end of this time together. But uh, really what he, though, brings is, is just a very high level of wisdom. And uh, I know we see that in our updates, but I hope you also see it in how he, he's the campus pastor for our downtown campus and those people, and um, he is their shepherd, he is their pastor, and he just loves them. So can you just join me and appreciate him? Yeah. Well, thank you, and thank you, Danny, for that awkward moment I just <laughs> had there. Um, thank you all so much. And looking back at 2017, we had such a, a great year here at Kesed. And we just want to say on behalf of the elders, the leadership team, Pastor Danny and myself, thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, over this past year, God has blessed us with record attendance, with record giving. And yes, oh, by the way, a, a, some kind and nice people downtown Vancouver gave us the keys to the church debt-free. So it's been a pretty amazing year for Kesed. <clears throat> Regarding the project, um, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but we still don't have permits to the city. Uh, the architect still has them, so we are, uh, we are fighting with that right now, and uh, hopefully soon, all in God's timing, we understand that, but soon, hopefully soon, uh, the city will have the, the plans uh, to give us a permit. Hopefully, keep praying about that. For those of you who signed pledge cards, um, in late 2017, if you have not uh, given those gifts or not on track for your monthly gifts that you, you pledged, I would encourage you and kind of nudge you to keep doing that. Uh, that would be great. We would sure appreciate that. Uh, if you're new to Kessid and have no idea what I'm talking about, please just go to the website or grab me on the way out or see one of the, one of the staff here. We'll be happy to tell you all about it and you can be a part of it. Uh, I'm kind of a numbers geek, so uh, I had to really scale this one down because I want to show spreadsheets and all kinds of stuff, and I'd put you all to sleep. So uh, I just want to cover December of last year, okay, just last month. We had record ties and offerings of over $77,000. We had, yeah, praise the Lord. We had uh, our building fund, record giving of over $86,000 in our building fund for a total of over $163,000 was brought in last month in December. So, yeah, yeah, yeah praise the Lord. Looking back over the entire year, over, over $684,000 was brought in under tithes and offering, and over $218,000 was brought in for the building fund. And that does not include the beautiful 1930 Model A that I think we're going to have a picture of here in a second, that was given to the church to sell. So if you have some space in your garage and uh, need a third car or a second car. You bring so many people to church in that. that. That's great for Costco, oh, for running man, kids that's a soccer. church rig right there. Here at Kesset Auto Sales, we'll make you, no. I, I <laughs> anyway, uh, again, we're just so thankful for you. We're, uh, we're excited about uh, the year to come. And, uh, and Danny, we had a great 2017. Praise the Lord. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Thank you. Can we just thank God? Elders, if you guys could come up. 
So at Kesset, I want to try to explain kind of what you're seeing next, especially for those of you who are new. But Kesset is an elder-ran church, and uh, we, are, we are elder overseen. Let me answer a couple questions about what you might wonder about that. Uh, one big question people like to ask, especially with a church that's growing and developing and, and all that stuff, is where, uh, where does the authority lie in our church? And it lies right here with the men that you're about to be introduced to. Um, I can be fired with just a single vote. And uh, that was something put in the bylaws by myself, along with a few of the elders at that time, because we felt it was really important to know that we have a plurality of leaders here, and that uh, it's not just driven by personality or, or charisma or drive. It's, it's really steered by the Holy Spirit, and I believe that biblically you can see that this is the way in which God leads his church. And so uh, what you have on stage right now are our existing elder board and some elder candidates which are men that, are going to, that we're going to be presenting today to you as candidates for elder board, and then also um, an elder that is stepping down who has finished his term with us. So uh, to start, our existing elder board exists of myself, Pastor Tom Lovelace, Dr. Larry Shelton, uh, Jeff Moyes, and Dean Jenks. And uh, Jeff Moyes right now functions as our uh, uh, head elder, and uh, that's kind of the five elders that we have right now. Uh, Dr. Larry Shelton is going to be transitioning as of 2018 into an elder emeritus status. He is still going to be a pastor in our church. He is still going to be uh, consulting, especially when it comes to the theology. Um, he's very heavily, he's a retired seminary professor, so obviously this is his gift mix. Um, but he will not be carrying the uh, day-to-day duties of an active elder in our church. And so uh, I just want to take him in and, and honor Dr. Larry and thank him for um, just his incredible service here and the amount of time he's put in and the amount of time he continues to put in. But uh, it, I'm excited to have him still on the team, but I wanted to recognize the time he has put in as an active elder. So we appreciate Larry. Um, another elder that stepped down a little previous in the year, but we only do this during this particular Sunday, is Mark White. This is Mark White here. And Mark um, is actually the original elder. Um, I called him um, an OG uh, last service, and people were he's an original gangster. He really is. Uh, when, when we started this church, it was, it, was, it was just a few of us, and Mark was one of those few. And he has been serving continually on the board for eight, just over eight years. And uh, he feels, I guess, it's a season for him to rotate off, which, you know, you know, hey, you know, not everybody follows the Lord perfectly all the time, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he truly, truly, truly is a treasure uh, in our church, and I, I think he'll probably serve in the future again, but we wanted to take a minute and honor Mark and uh, his service here, so. Uh, that said, there will be two elders that we are presenting today as candidates. And so the way it works at Kesset is we just don't say, here's your elders. We present them as candidates for 30 days in order for us to publicly um, um, give time for our congregation to either get to know them or express concerns or other things. We want to make sure that this body is uh, bought into the way in which our leadership is structured. And so the two elders that we are going to be announcing today are first Don Herline. This is Don here. Don has been attending for a long time. And uh, his family, his son Logan's actually playing drums today. So they, they've been around uh, for a while. And uh, Don is just, he's just a great man. He's helped us already through some different uh, situations. And uh, he's been sitting on our board in a quiet capacity. And we feel it's time to present him to you guys for a 2018 elder candidate. So that's Don Herline.
next is Matt Stanfield. This is Matt here. And uh, some of you may have seen Matt because he's pushing carts back and forth through church. If you've been through Rooted, he probably served you some chicken or pie. Uh, he's just, he is just a servant leader, uh, definition of. And uh, I am super excited to have Matt. He has ministry experience. He, um, he comes from an education background, and I think he'll be a huge help for this next season of Kesed as we develop uh, our ministries and the way that we disciple, and I just, I'm really excited to have him on the team. So I'm officially presenting Matt Stanfield as a 2018 elder candidate, again, these last uh, about 30 days, and, uh, and then they will come on board and we will let you know. So Matt Stanfield. Uh, lastly, uh, Pastor Tom Lovelace. I already shared a moment ago that uh, Tom is functioning in every way as a pastor in our church, um, but he just really wants to, to marry people. So we're going to give him a license today. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't want to marry anybody, so don't ask him because you will never get your tithing report if that happens. He'll be like <laughs> but uh, no, Tom is functioning as our executive pastor, and we want to uh, publicly recognize his role and authority in our church and so, uh, Tom, I'm just honored that you're part of our family, and we thank you for being a pastor in our community. And so, we uh, give you this license now for the third time. Uh, <laughs> you can keep it. You can keep it now. Uh, but yeah, that, but thank you very much for everything. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Let's give those guys a hand. The reason this is also very important is, of course, because uh, church leadership uh, at its core is built to execute a vision, which is what we're going to talk about now, that we hope God has bestowed through the Holy Spirit upon us and, and upon you guys. And so, um, as I said a moment ago, this year's kind of theme is extraordinary together. And, and when you think of the word extraordinary, I want you to think of it maybe a little different than you first think of it. Uh, the... the Kind of the sexy version of the word, if you would, is this concept of remarkable, exceptional, amazing, astonishing, astounding, sensational, stunning, incredible. That's that really kind of, oh, it's extraordinary, it's, it's, it's exciting, and it's that thing that we all, of course, want to be. But what you may not realize is actually at a very root, just sort of base explanation, the word actually means very unusual. Very unusual, or a second common phrase is beyond what is usual, beyond what is usual. So when I use the word extraordinary together, what I believe is that we're going to continue to experience what we did this last year, and that is a very unusual amount of church development, church structure, church growth, and church blessing. Very unusual or beyond what is usual, and we're going to do it together. We're going to recognize that God is using us, not me, not them, not the worship team, not the, not the creative team, but all of us together to share with our friends and family beyond what most people expect about our love for God and his love for us. And this really is our church. For we are ordinary people, I'll put it on the screen, worshiping an extraordinary God, accomplishing extraordinary things for his glory. This is nothing new. This is not even really that fresh, to be honest. It's actually all based out of Acts, which we're going to start that study in uh, two weeks. I know a lot of you have been pushing for a book study. You're like, man, we used to do book studies for three years straight. Well, the problem is then God turned our whole church upside down, and we had to move to topical because it was like sailing in a storm around here for a while. We were constantly dealing with new things and new thoughts and new concepts and new revelations, and there was no way that I felt we could be true to the Spirit's leading and, and just power through a book because that's what's usual. 
We want to be beyond what's usual. We want to be extraordinary together following God. But I can tell you this. This next season of Kesed is going to be very similar to the extraordinary togetherness of the early church in Acts. And that's why we're going to launch a series in two weeks called Rise. Rise is based off one single verse that I think is profound and I think highlights the vision I want to share with you this year for Kesed. And it's the verse in Acts 26 where Saul, who's about to be converted and changed to Paul, is being his usual self. He's persecuting people, he's, he's following the Jewish tradition, and he's doing all the things that a good rabbi in training does. And suddenly he's walking down the road, and a bright light shines across the road, and everybody falls to the ground. And then a voice says to him, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And Paul's response, and I summarize, is, I don't know, what should I be doing? And the Lord responds to him, Acts 26, 16, and says, I want you to rise. I want you to rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen, focus on this, and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. God says, I want to make you, you two in this room, a minister of the things that you have seen and the things that I want to yet reveal to you. I believe that we have a two-phase vision in our church for this 2018. The first one is quite simple and quite straightforward, and it's a vision surrounding things that are seen. And then there's another one that I'm going to close with, and it's a vision surrounding things that are unseen based on this verse and the series that we're going to launch in about two weeks. So let's start with a seen vision. The best way to understand a seen vision is uh, is something a lot like what you've experienced this last year. Uh, from a biblical context, it would be something a lot like what Nehemiah experienced, and I'll explain kind of about his story here in a moment. But in our church, we clearly needed a building about two years ago. We didn't really need one before then. We wanted one badly because we wanted to be done with setup and teardown. We wanted to be done with all the drama that came with renting. We wanted to, to be what we would call a planted church. And then all of a sudden, about two years ago, God was like, you're planted. And we were like, no, we're still set up and tear down. He's like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. You're planted. And I preached and we shared about how we were no longer going to be looking for a building and how we were just going to be the church God wanted us to be. And suddenly our little church started to grow and suddenly we ran out of room and suddenly God went, oh, look, you're out of room. That's a good reason for a building. And a building came across our radar and we had incredible amounts of epic leadership when they asked us, do you want it? And we said, yes. That was the... It's the full length of our strategy. That'll be the name of my church planning book. Yes. <laughs> chapter one, if someone offers you a building, chapter two, say yes. <laughs> Done. <laughs> this is in honor of my wife and all the years we've been together. Right? That'll be my whole book. It'll be very short, but probably a very good seller. And that's sort of what happened. God provided for us when the need was seen and clear, and then he met it. And no one thought about us. Everyone thought about him. Over and over and over again, God brings credit to him, and he does it through often meeting seen needs. Nehemiah is a great example. The people of Israel are just scattered. They've been rebellious, and God has scattered them. And while they were scattered, they were weak. And so their cities got attacked, including their holy city of Jerusalem, and their walls got shattered. And each of their walls had special gates that represented different special things. And you had the water gate and you had the, the other gates and all the different gates. And they all represented different things and they were all torn to pieces. And Nehemiah as an exile was living with a king, one of the kings who had exiled part of God's people. And in that time, he rose to the all-important position of a cupbearer. Now, I don't know if you know what a cupbearer does. 
But a cupbearer, quite simply, is, uh, has one simple job, and it is to protect the king by tasting the king's wine before the king drank it. That was his whole job. At first, you might think, that's a pretty sweet job. I mean, you get wine all day, depending on how thirsty the king is. You're like, I have to. I have to. Right? You tell your wife, like, you come home, you're a little, you're like, the king drank a lot today. What do you want me to do? I got to put dinner on the table, right? <laughs> you don't know. But here's what you don't realize about a cupbearer. And this is the words of one theologian who said, the best part about being a cupbearer is it was actually quite a simple job. For if he didn't fall over dead, it was a job well done. And yet if he did fall over dead, it was also a job well done. So either way, it's like, oh, good job, Nehemiah. Great job. How, how poisoned was it? That was Nehemiah's whole job. But what it did is it endeared him to the king. And so eventually, he shared with the king, listen, I feel like I'm supposed to go back to my, my home nation, and I'm supposed to help rebuild their walls. For if I rebuilt their walls, it would rebuild their confidence. It would rebuild our, our systems of belief. People would be able to come home that are exiled all over this region. For some reason, the king saw in his eyes that this was a true passion of his, and he said, yeah, go do it. I mean, you're a cupbearer, not a wall builder, but... So Nehemiah got a horse and he rode into town with a few friends and he stayed very quiet, scripture says. It says he rode around the wall at night and then there were places where the wall, which should have been, you know, massive with an entire road built around it, was so crumbled his horse couldn't even make it through the rubble. And he knew right then and there that God wanted to use him to rebuild this wall. And so he meets with the city leaders, Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18, and he says to them right away, because this is about seeing vision, friends, he says, you see the trouble we're in. There's no questions. You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates, remember the specific gates, have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. At this point in Nehemiah's vision, some people bought in, and some people bought out, but the rebuilding began. I'll tell you right away as I share this vision, there's people in this church, you're not supposed to be here. And you're not supposed to be here because we don't want you. You're not supposed to be here because you don't fit. You're not supposed to be here because God has called you to something different and you know it. And I'm here to tell you, if, if you think you're staying here out of friendship or commitment uh, or anything other than your calling by God to be a part of this community, then you're here in sin. People are like, what? You can attend church and sin by attending? You sure can. Because if God has called you to go serve somewhere else, they're waiting for you. And you are so important to their vision and their mission. And, and I, I want you to know, from a spiritual standpoint, you don't, don't feel any kind of guilt or shame. That is the world's bestowing upon you of what it means to be a part of a church family. For churches are not congregational-based. They're, 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 they're God-based. And so you're not leaving our church. You're just attending a different Sunday service and a part of a different faith community. But there are people here, you're not supposed to be here, and I was supposed to say that. I didn't say that at the, uh, at the uh, 9 o'clock or Main Street. All those people are supposed to be there. I only said it to people here <laughs> at the church. <laughs> but I, I felt led to share that here, and, and, I, and I hope you feel encouraged by that uh, more than anything else. There's some other people, though, and you're scared to buy in. As a matter of fact, you're just visiting today, and you are supposed to be here. Or you just got sucked in, and you can't even believe you're in this talk right now. Vision talk, this guy's supposed to be funny. 
right? And you're just not about it. But the reality is the Holy Spirit's messing with your heart right now, and there's nothing you can do because I will call you out if you try to leave the room at any time after this point in the service. (laughs) You're supposed to be here, and God wants to do something with your life, and you've been waiting too long, and I'm just going to say it. Welcome home, for this is your church. This is your family, and we're messed up, and we're broken, but I'll tell you one thing. We are committed to one another and to our cause, and so I am so very happy to have you, and so thank you for being here today. So Nehemiah, that's the kind of people he gets, a bunch of frustrated people, a bunch of excited people, and uh, he starts working with them, and he rebuilds this entire wall. He rebuilds the wall, by the way, with people who aren't normally builders of walls. It's an important thing to realize. In that culture, people had trades, and they were very specific. They were very traditional, and they were passed down. You find that out uh, when you hear some people's names, and they're like, this is so-and-so. His father was a goldsmith. Suddenly you know this was a trade passed down. Or when the people of Israel are wandering uh, in the desert, and God calls them to build the tabernacle, it's this family did this, and this family did that. It's because there were people who were tradesmen. Well, you don't build walls. There's not a trade for specific wall builders, and if there was, there certainly wouldn't be enough to make any kind of difference, for this wall had to go up in a short amount of time, or nations around them would have caught on and came and attacked them. And so Nehemiah starts using anybody, and I mean like anybody, and we don't realize just how much these anybody's are anybody's, but they did at the time, and that's why Nehemiah chapter 3 is just an almost entire chapter of names with random, hard-to-pronounce people that make no difference whatsoever, except for they helped with a wall. Let me read just a few of those difficult names and why they were so important. Nehemiah chapter 3, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananiel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel repaired, and next to them, Zadok, the son of Banna, repaired, and on and on and on for like 27 verses. Why do we care about this? Because what he was letting you know is that God was using ordinary people to do extraordinary things because they were willing to be a part. Nehemiah the cupbearer organized all these people, and God used them to do an amazing and humanly impossible task to rebuild the city and to do it in extraordinary time, for this is the church. It's a group of ordinary people worshiping an extraordinary God, accomplishing extraordinary things for his glory. And people from all over started to take notice and more builders came and more helpers came and more hands came. And next thing you know, the wall was completely built and people began to be afraid of this nation of Israel that could accomplish all of this stuff with so much extraordinary togetherness and unity. Can you imagine? They just didn't have some soldiers and some carpenters and some seamstress. And so, no, they had a group of people who at any point in time could say, we're doing this. And everyone around them knew they would do it. And suddenly... Other Jewish people who were exiled started coming home because they heard there was a place for them. They heard that the gates were back open. They heard that they could worship there again. They heard that they could find healing there again. And one by one by one by one, they moved family after family back home to Jerusalem, all because there was a simple cupbearer who said, I feel like I'm supposed to help. 
Nehemiah knew that the task before him was not dependent on him, and that was dependent on him, and that what was dependent on him was to depend on God for the city to be restored. The entire book of Nehemiah surrounds around this seeing vision concept, and it's, it's really there to destroy all of our tendency to believe that God can't use us because we think we don't have what it takes. Nobody has what it takes. Nobody has what it takes to build a wall by themselves. Nobody has what it takes to build a church like the one we're a part of. Nobody. It just, it just can't occur unless we're willing to come together and recognize that it doesn't matter what we've failed at. It doesn't matter our past. It only matters that we're willing to lift something spiritually, emotionally, maybe physically, financially, through prayer heavy, that we're present and that we're together in it. Nehemiah knew that. And he depended on God, and he stepped out in faith, and he accomplished, along with all those ordinary people, an extraordinary thing. But that's not the best part of Nehemiah's story. Nor, by the way, is 2017, 2017 the best part of ours. See, you might think that with all this momentum and with all these record numbers and all this stuff, that we're fairly set. You might think that next, this coming year, we're just going to blow into this building, and of course, buildings bring growth, and we're going to be able to do more for our children and our discipleship and rooted and, and our community, and it's just going to be an incredibly just rainbows and flowers and, and like little ponds full of fish that want you to catch them, right? It's just going to be that. You understand? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I could keep going, but you think like I'm a part of something that's awesome, but here's what you don't realize. The purpose behind why God does this kind of thing with seen vision is always for the same thing always. It is always to bring glory to him. And that is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. For as their walls filled up, they realized that it wasn't one person or one dream or one vision. They realized that it was one God who brought them home. And so it says, Nehemiah 8.1, eight chapters of building, uh, seven chapters of building, chapter eight, it says this, after this, after the walls were completed, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. The water gate was the one that brought life. And they, they stood before the water gate, and the scripture says they begin to read scripture aloud. They begin to pray. They begin to worship. And eventually, they even begin to confess their sins because they realized they were in the presence of a holy God who brought them home and who could accomplish anything with their ordinary lives. They begin to do church. And they became extraordinary together. And then as one body, this is what happened when those people were willing to be the people God wanted. They prayed this prayer of blessing upon our Lord. And I think it's perhaps one of the most profound blessings in all of Scripture. This is what they said. Nehemiah 9, 5, 5 and 6. It says this, Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. See, they were brought forth not in order to go, look what we did, we built a wall. Look what we did, we built this church. They were brought forth in order to bring glory to God who did all those things in spite of their ordinariness and so could raise forth a blessing upon him that he deserved, which is that you were the blesser of blessers. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the hosts of hosts. You deserve everything above everything above everything. And as one people, we recognize you did all this for us. 
And so we praise you, God, in front of this gate of water, that you are the living water that brings purpose and cleanliness and wholeness to our life. You are the God that brings healing and and forgiveness to our life. And so we lift your name high above it all. My friends, I'm here to tell you right now, Kessid Church has an opportunity to respond to the blessings of the walls, in a sense, that God has built this way. But it is going to take people who are committed to Scripture, committed to prayer, who are willing to worship, and who can confess their sins and be transformed. That's what it's going to take to raise a voice of blessing in Vancouver, not because of a building or record anything, but because of lives transformed. For I'm telling you, with every single lifting of a stone, for every hammer blow, people's hearts were transformed because they were part of something bigger than themselves that they saw God was doing. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. And I have no idea where this train ride ends. But I guarantee you, I'm not in control of the engine. I can't slow it down. I can't speed it up. All I can do is see that God is doing something with this group. And if you're willing to be a part, I believe it's going to be extraordinary. And I think it's going to be a place eventually, just like Jerusalem was, where people from all over Vancouver who feel exiled from the body of Christ, from from relationship with their creator, feel like they can come home because there's going to be a group of people inside it who are praying and worshiping and confessing and blessing, and they're going to be arms wide open receiving those people who say, I heard I might be able to belong here. And you're going to say, belong here? This was all built for you. It's yours. And we are going to feel so incredibly blessed that we will know nothing more than to raise God's name and say, you are glorious. You are king of kings. You are hosts of hosts. We're just part of your family. That's what I believe we're going to see. Now let me tell you what I think we're not going to see. I think if we are not careful as a church body... What's going to happen is we are going to become so used to these fire from heaven kind of Elijah moments like Chris talked about last week that I think are beautiful and needed that that's then going to be the expectation of our body. And I'm here to tell you today, I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't know if next year will be a record year and I don't care, but I think there's people in the room who do because if we had a record year this year and we didn't have a record year next year, that means we're not, hmm, did we get any free buildings this year? Did we break last year's giving for December? Suddenly these become the things that we measure because we're used to seeing these fire from heaven moments. Chris talked last week about Elijah and the fire from heaven and how Elijah prays and suddenly there's fire and then there's sacrifice of 450 prophets of Baal and there's blood and screaming and God and people are like, he is powerful, he is mighty. I can't even believe this is happening. I'm so glad he's on my team. And then you heard how Elijah then, there was a gap in the story. And I'm going to talk to you about that. There's a gap in the story where then he goes out into the desert. And when he goes out into the desert, God meets him and tells him to go to the mountain. He goes to the mountain and God shows up in all these big seen ways. But then it's the spirit and the whisper of God that draws him to the mouth of the cave as Chris shared. And that's where God ministers to him. Well, do you know partly why he ended up in the desert? Have you ever considered the little story in uh, in the book of 1 Kings, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, chapter 8, where Elijah just finished with the fire from heaven. He knows that God's going to do something big for the king and for the country, and he believes that that's going to be the bringing back of rain for one of the things they were trying to do was stop the famine that was happening, for there had been no rain during that whole story for three years. 
So Elijah says, you think fire from heaven's a big deal. I think a rainstorm's coming. And Ahab says, okay, okay. And Elijah says, go to Ahab. Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he prayed. The same that he prayed for fire from heaven. God, bring rain. It's been three years. Show your mercy to these people, God. Look at all these amazing things you've done for me. It's unbelievable all the seen blessing that you have done for you have brought all people back unto you. So God, here's the thing. I feel it. I even think you feel it for me. I think there's supposed to be rain, God. There's rain. I feel like there's rain. And then he's done praying and he stands up off the ground covered in dust. I see it. And he sends his servant up to the top to look out over the ocean and let him know the rain's coming. Get up there and tell me about the rain. And it says that his servant goes up now and looked toward the sea. And he went up and looked toward the sea. And he responds, there's nothing. What do you mean there's nothing? I just called fire from heaven. And now I'm looking for some rain. Like that was like three days ago I called fire from heaven. I'm looking for some rain because it's going to impact the whole country, not just this region. It's going to be unbelievable. Let me pray again. He gets back down. Prostrate, dark, quiet, heaving, praying. Maybe an hour goes by, he stands up, tears running down his dust face. And you can see it as he looks at a servant. He's like, get up there and tell me about this rain. The servant's like, yeah, man. Gets up there and he's like, comes down. There is nothing. Three times, four times. Could you imagine praying fifth time? Like by that time, the servant's like, do you just want me to stay up here and I'll just wait? Like, you could whistle, and I could look. Like, what, is there a better way we could do this? Because it's a long ways up there. And Elijah's like, shut your mouth. I'm trying to pray. Maybe you're why there's no rain in heaven. Fire, right? <laughs> like that's, that's extra biblical and not true. But, but by the fifth or sixth time, I think Elijah's getting pretty frustrated with the story. And so by the seventh time now, he finally says, go up and look. And at this point, it almost feels like the servant is just appeasing him because he finally goes up. And after the seventh time, verse 44, he says, behold, listen to his description. There's a little cloud like a man's hand rising from the sea. A little cloud like a man's hand rising from the sea. It's not a lot. I don't want to get your hopes up because you've been praying for a long time. It's really small. I mean, like, like I thought it was a bird at first. It's really tiny. And Elijah just knows finally that God is going to meet his need. And so he says, go up and say to Ahab. And he just says it so boldly. Prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. Can you imagine Ahab with chicken in his mouth hearing that? Like, rain? What rain? And the servant's going to point to the, the hand cloud, you know. And the guy's like, <laughs> like, he wants me to, like, rush to town based on the hand, the cloud, that one? Like, like <laughs> it's gone, right? I mean, you don't know. But he listens to Elijah because he did call fire from heaven just earlier, and that's exactly what he did. Next slide. And in a little while, it says this, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. See, I believe that God is always faithful to show up, not because, uh, because he... Uh, has to, but because it is what he does. It is who he is. 
This is our God, Isaiah 46, 9. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Notice the phrase, not yet done. For it is not only in the seen vision that we trust God, but it is in the unseen vision that we trust God. Like he says to Saul, I'm making you a minister based on what you've seen and based on things yet that I have revealed to you. I'm clear here to tell you, you think 2017 blew you away? What if 2018 is half as good and still blows you away? Because you are where you're supposed to be. What if our goal wasn't to break records? Our goal was to break hearts, hearts of stone that kept people focused upon their purpose and their will and their desire. What if our goal was instead to replace those stone, as scripture says, with hearts of flesh that feel and hurt and are sloppy and sad, things you can't see? How do you want me to measure hearts for you? Do you want me to count every single Sunday how many salvations and then let you know that we brought in more people to Jesus this month than last month and everything's on an upward trend? Do you know why that's terrible? Because I can get really, really good at raising hands, but only Jesus can save people. I could have every person in this room raise their hand and then say, you all just became a Christian. One, two, three, four, seven, nine, 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 75, most ever. <sighs> that is not why we're here. And that will never happen. And we will report to you both good and bad months. And we will lift to you both what's happening and what we think's happening. But we will never, ever, ever, ever get caught up in this church on only what is seen. For it is the things that are yet seen or yet revealed that we have to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it is those things and those things alone that I believe blow the doors off the things that keep churches only impacting cities instead of being kingdom building, kingdom minded. I told you a minute ago, go to the church God called you to go to for God's sake for he wants to use you give serve help you've thought about it your whole Christian life what if I stop playing games what if I leaned in that's all unseen vision that's all God saying this might happen if you do this if you pray I prayed three times I went to church for four years and nothing happened good five years six years maybe it's the seventh year When there's a little cloud the size of a man's hand and that's all you needed, then you're in. Maybe for some of you, this is that service. It's a service that that signifies a cloud the size of a man's hand. And this is your service that you're like, yeah, I'm done running. I'm done with this stuff. I'm in. I need to be transformed. I'm sick of carrying around this heart of stone. I want the heart of flesh no matter how it feels. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And yeah, I want to be excited about building walls because it attracts people that need to know they're safe in a place. But I want to be more excited about the unseen transformation that only God gets credit for. And I want to be a church that raises blessing. And I want to be a church that breaks boundaries. And I want to be a church that never raises one man up or one woman up or one leader up, but is a group of people doing incredible things, extraordinary things, all together. That's... That's, I believe, what our vision is for next year. That we are going to both dive in full-hearted into the things that are seen and unseen. And that there is an unknown cloud of promise in the distance. For I believe in many ways, Kesed 2018, and I wrote this down, will be like an extraordinarily needed storm upon the land. And that's going to be dark. And it's going to be powerful. And if you're into thunderstorms like I am, it's going to be beautiful, but it might be loud. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, but also remind you of just how big God is and small you are. I believe our whole year is going to be full of ups and downs, and I believe that we are going to truly define 
define in our ninth year of ministry exactly who we are so that when God starts to bring people to us, we can proclaim exactly who he is. And so I say, my friends, let it rise. Let it happen. Let it be done. Let's be extraordinary together. Let's hold him and him alone in highest regard. And let's proclaim him extraordinary altogether. Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I feel a, a lot of your presence in this room right now, and so I don't, I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to say too much. I feel like there's people in this room who are making decisions to follow you, and I haven't even given a salvation experience or a salvation message. I feel like, Lord, there's people who are finally letting go of some hurt, some people who are really experiencing what it means to be a part of a family, some people who are starting to think about their marriage different, their parenting different, their relationships different their church involvement different. God, I want to live an extraordinary life, not to bring attention to me, but to bring attention to you, Lord. Not an extraordinary life that is remarkable or bright, but an extraordinary life that is beyond the usual. A life, God, that just isn't lived building careers or retirement. And those things are so important, God, for they are seen and needed. But I, Lord, want to build a life full of relationship with you and other people. I want to be a life, God, that proclaims in one voice, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, God, I just surrender this entire thing to you, the whole vision, the whole plan, what is seen and what is unseen. Lord, we just, we just together know that you can build it, that you can make it, that you can lead it. We are blessed to be a part of it, and we sit now in this place just considering and thinking about all the ways God that you want to use us in this community we lift your name above it all as we just move into this small time of worship in Jesus name amen amen I want to say to uh, if you want to get just while you're processing all this information I've given you if you want to get connected in our church there's some cards on the seats that are some really easy really simple just next step community things feel free to turn those in as you leave someone will call you we we want to do more than just attend on sunday we want to be church be family with one another uh, let me also say before we sing this last song uh, i am beyond privileged to serve here it means it means so much to me that you have uh, that you have made this for those of you who have your church home and I take that very seriously, and I, I, I feel that, that uh, I feel the blessing of that as I see your faces come in the door every morning. And uh, I, just, I just love you guys, and I know that there's so much love in the room for each other. And I think that alone will just be an incredible, life-changing experience for so many people who have yet to find a place full of people like you. So thank you. Let's worship him. Let's proclaim him worthy. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing.